Let's turn in our Bibles tonight. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Acts 4, and we'll begin in verse 32. Our title for tonight is Becoming Like Barnabas. Becoming Like Barnabas. We're going to explore one of these uh, little-known characters in the Word of God. How many of you ever heard the name Barnabas mentioned in the Bible? You know that? Usually it's linked with someone else named, who is it? Paul, yes. And so Paul and Barnabas, that dynamic duo. It wasn't always uh, Paul and Barnabas. It was also Paul and Silas and Paul and Timothy. And so let's dig in a little bit tonight about who this person Barnabas was. Before we begin, let's pray together and let's ask God to help us as we look into the Word. Lord God, help us tonight as we look into the life and this uh, Bible character, Lord, many times often overlooked, named Barnabas. Lord, help us to emulate his life and see uh, the valuable characteristics here of someone that we can be like and someone that uh, really all of us could aspire to be like. Uh, Lord, help us as we uh, look to Barnabas to see uh, the image of Christ and to see the, the patterns and the character of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, the one that we live for, Lord, we live for you. And Lord, I pray that our actions and our words will be pleasing to you uh, tonight and Lord, as we finish the rest of our work week this week. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, when we think about Barnabas, uh, we think about someone uh, whose name really was not Barnabas. In the Bible, if we look at this clearly in Acts 4, uh, verse 32, let's give the context here and we'll see uh, what this name is all about. It says in Acts 4, 32, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things that he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And notice this, verse 36, and Joseph, who was by the apostles surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so right here in verse 36, we see that uh, his, his real name was not Barnabas. His real name was Joseph, or Joseph, actually. And so Barnabas was a name given out of endearment or out of love for this disciple because he was the son of consolation or the son of encouragement. What if you were given that title, encourager? That's what I think of when I think of Barnabas. I think of an encourager. How many of you can think back and think of someone who encouraged you in your life? They encouraged you during your childhood or your adulthood. How many of you, for you, that was a teacher? How many of you had a teacher that was a huge encourager? They just pushed you along. It was a teacher. Maybe at Sunday school or at church and maybe in school where you went uh, every day of the week. How many of you, your parents encouraged you? You had encouraging parents. Praise God for encouraging parents. Uh, none of us want to be discouraging parents or grandparents. We might, uh, any of us, fall into those categories here tonight. Um, I think about maybe coaches, teachers, all of the above, people that God has used in our lives to encourage us. Uh, for me, it was a youth pastor uh, growing up that invested time into me uh, week after week and would often invite me to go visit other young people and was really, looking back, training me for the ministry even though I didn't even know it at the time. And so I praise God for faithful people who have not just invested time in me but encouraged me along the way. 
Uh, Sometimes encouragement looks like tough love, doesn't it? Sometimes true encouragement isn't always what we need or always what we want to hear, but it's truly what we need to hear. And so thank God for encouragers. Barnabas was an encourager. He was so known for this attribute, maybe not even fully in this moment in Acts chapter 4, but he, he became so fully known by this attribute that he was actually given a name that, mean, that meant this thing, uh, the son of encouragement. I want to talk tonight about becoming like Barnabas or becoming someone like this, someone that is a person of encouragement. You know, we, we live in a world today that's already full of plenty of discouragement. How many of you have a Facebook, Facebook account? How many have Twitter? I thought it'd be very few hands on that, Pastor Tony. <laughs> very few Twitters. Uh, I don't tweet. I don't have a Twitter. I don't twit or whatever you call that. I don't do any of that. Um, I do have Facebook. And let's just be honest about it. As we scroll through Facebook many times, we just see loads upon loads of discouraging content. A friend of mine the other day said, I'm tired of Facebook. I'm tired of following discouraging people. And he told me how he follows golden retrievers. Did any of you follow golden retrievers? A friend of mine, is he literally follows dogs on Facebook. I didn't even know there was such a thing as dog Facebook accounts, but I guess they're more encouraging than following humans. So anyway, um, maybe you can relate. But we need to be people that are salt and light in this earth. That's what we've been called to do. Uh, We're supposed to be people of encouragement. If anybody should be encouragers, it should be Christians, right? Uh, That's us. That's that's the body of Christ. And so whether that's to your grandkids or your children or other church members, your age or not your age, everyone in between, we should be encouraging. Uh, As you all um, are investing, even in the next generation, many of you, I am, you are, we all have this place in our generation and have this job to invest and encourage the next generation. Here's some attributes I see about Barnabas. We'll go through seven of these quickly tonight. But how do we become like a Barnabas? Number one, I want to show you that we must, first of all, step outside our comfort zone. When becoming like Barnabas, you need to step outside your comfort zone. Uh, We see that Barnabas exemplified this here in chapter 4 as he was truly an outsider. Let's read the description again of his name in verse 36, it says, this apostle surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. So we know that uh, the setting here is the church at Jerusalem, and, and much that was happening here in chapter 4 looks a lot like what was happening in chapter 2. If you remember the book of Acts, there at the end of Pentecost, they were all Uh, selling their houses and uh, giving it to the church and giving it to the brethren. They were just supporting each other's needs. What a beautiful picture of the way the church should be, right? Just sharing and caring for each other. Uh, That that just seems maybe even so foreign to us as uh, we might give to the church our tithes and offerings and missions. But if you're like me, that's very systematic, Uh, You know, if if you follow a budget or you're a follower of Dave Ramsey, any of you all, and uh, you follow that budget line by line and and you give systematically, but here this giving seemed much more organic, much more organic. And so here was this outsider, Barnabas. He wasn't from this area. He was a Jew from Cyprus, shows up here at the Church of Jerusalem. We don't know when he was saved. It could have been he was saved there at Pentecost. And he shows up and instead of staying on the outside, he stepped into the inside by serving. 
He stepped into the inside. He got in the in crowd, you might say, because he gave, he served, he loved, he encouraged. He became known for all the right things. Uh, He became well-known because of his servanthood. He stepped outside his comfort zone. He could, have ste- he could have sat on the sidelines. He could have watched what everybody was doing in this church. But instead, he jumped in and he got involved in this act of giving that others were doing. We see that he stepped outside his comfort zone. But secondly, we see that he served from the heart. We must serve from the heart. Uh, serving with no strings attached. <clears throat> I'm not doing this to get something out of it. I'm not... Uh, serving in Awana to get a reward or to get a pat on the back. Just simply serving from the heart. He, having land, in verse 37, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture of selfless service from the heart. If we want to become someone like Barnabas, it's an encourager, we got to quit looking out for number one so much. And we need to look out for others. We need to look out for the needs of others and care for others and have compassion on others, serving from the heart. No other motivation will suffice or can suffice a true Christ follower that truly wants to give God glory. If I have any other motivation, I'm going to end up with all the wrong results. I'm going to end up with the wrong praise because it won't be praise of him It'll be praise of me. And so God, uh, would God help us with our motivation as we serve from the heart? Number three I want to see as we become like Barnabas, we need to start seeing the best in people. Seeing the best. And if we're honest about this, by default, our default mode is not seeing the best. We often see the worst. Uh, we like to pick out people's small flaws and make them really big. We like to major on the minors. Uh, We like to sweat the small stuff, as the saying goes. We got to see the best in people. How did Paul do this? Excuse me, how did uh, Barnabas do this? Look over to Acts chapter 9 with me. Flip over in your Bible, maybe just a few pages. This is one of my favorite chapters of Scripture here in Acts chapter 9, as we have the uh, Apostle Paul or Saul at the time in verse 1. It says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went in unto the high priest. It just shows the Apostle Paul at that time on some kind of rampage. He's just, he's on a killing spree. He wants to eradicate all the disciples of Jesus. He wants to do whatever he can. He was, he was zealous in all the wrong ways, and most of all, against the people of God. And we know the story as he's on the road to Damascus, that bright light uh, shines down from heaven and Jesus speaks to him personally and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this? And Jesus gets a hold of him and and most of all, grabs his heart. He saves uh, the apostle Paul. Paul believes by faith and receives Christ just like you have, hopefully, and like I have. And we know that in this situation, It could have been very easy for Saul to sit back, for him to cower away and to stay inside his comfort zone, but he he practiced what Barnabas was doing. He stepped out. You could say he stepped right into Christian service. The moment that blindness fell from his eyes, we find him in the synagogues. Uh, Look what it says here 
in verse 19 of chapter 9. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Verse 21 says, But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on, the name, on this name in Jerusalem? And came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound under the chief priest. But Saul increased the more in strength. That's not talking about his physical strength. But this is his oratory. This is the, the, the way that he was allowing the spirit to fill him and to preach the gospel. And confounding the Jews which dwelt at Damascus. Proving that this is very Christ. Uh, Paul was an apologist. He was convincing Uh, He was on fire, you might say. He was a fiery preacher. He was unapologetic. He was not apologizing for the gospel that he had received. He was on a roll. He was ready to go. He was stirred up. Everything was going well. And then as we look down through the passage and, and see what came to pass is that soon after this, maybe those that listened for a few minutes soon became ready to kill him. They were ready to kill him. Uh, Paul, multiple times, maybe in these next few years that are kind of encompassed in chapter 9, would preach and really not be received too well. Um, Eventually, the story goes, and from what we know from history and other writings, even outside the Bible, is that we believe, by Paul's testimony also in other places, that he went to Arabia somewhere in this time period. He received revelation from Jesus Christ, and he uh, had a time of, you could call, one-on-one discipleship uh, with the Holy Spirit, and having a, a really a quiet time, a long period of time, learning and, and growing in his walk with the Lord. And look what happens as we uh, jump back in, and as these death threats continue in verse 23, and after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying away was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Can you imagine the, just the, the, the traumatic moment that would have been for the Apostle Paul? After really putting his life on the line for those past several years since his conversion and just dynamically preaching and passionately preaching. He gets to Jerusalem, which is supposed to be kind of the, the, the home ground or the home base of the early church at that time. And he was probably thinking, everything is going to be right now. I'm going to find maybe protection. I'm going to find friendship. I'm going I'm to be safe here. I can find some refreshing and some renewal That's not what happened according to verse 26. They were afraid of him. They were still cautious after all those years of Paul's faithfulness. And not only that, it says they even believed that he wasn't a disciple. How insulting. Can you imagine? How insulting to Saul or the apostle Paul at this time. But this is where a servant named Barnabas steps in. Who had learned to step outside his comfort zone. Who was serving from the heart. And thirdly, we can see here how he was seeing the best in people. Look what happens in verse 27. But Barnabas took him 
and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so somebody steps in, somebody intercedes, someone says, hey, I know this guy. I know him. I've seen him preach. I've heard him. I've been around him. It could be that they had some kind of history together or uh, maybe they had a track record or a background together. We don't really know, but Barnabas stepped in. No matter what would happen to his reputation, he said, hey, I know this guy. I vouch for him. He's with me. Isn't that awesome? We need to be people like that, that uh, would look at a new Christian or would work, as we work in the church and do ministry, or maybe we're on the job or in our family, instead of cutting others down or staying away from those we think that might not be as spiritually mature as us, let's see what's good about them. Let's see how they're growing and how they're serving and what they're doing. Let's come alongside them. Let's introduce them to others. Let's be the kind of people who don't just see the worst, but see the best. This not only happened in Acts 9, but later on it would happen again in Acts chapter 15. In the situation where there was, a, uh, there was some doubt of, of John Mark. You, how many remember the name John Mark? That was not only another missionary, but he was the eventual author of the book of Mark. But at this point, we know that the, the situation was that Mark had uh, turned away at one point. And there was some issues with Mark. But Barnabas, being his cousin actually, stood up for him. And you might think, well, he just stood up for him because that was his flesh and blood. But no, I don't think that's why. That's just what Barnabas did. He just, he just went in and interceded for others. That's what he did. He saw the best in people. And from Acts 9 to Acts 15, this is what Barnabas was doing. He could see the potential in Paul and John Mark, no matter their failures, no matter their history, no matter where they'd been, no matter what they'd done, he was there to bring along new believers. What if we had that kind of heart and mindset in our discipleship? Wouldn't that revolutionize uh, the way that churches like Fellowship and churches like ours in the Philippines, the way that we really did discipleship if we truly began by seeing the best in people and saying, this is, this is where you are and it's amazing. Look how far you've come. You're saved. You, uh, you're, you have a new start. According to the Bible, you're a new creation. Now let's, now let's go together. Let's walk together. That's what Barnabas did. I want to become that kind of encourager. Not only he saw the best in people, but number four, as we become like Barnabas, we learn to speak life into people. Number four, speak life. What's the Bible say in another place? It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Pastor Tony uh, preached about relationships a few, week back, a few weeks back and spoke about the power of words. The power of the spoken word. Death and life, you hold that power in the things that you say. You can kill people literally emotionally. You can discourage them to the point of maybe death or, uh, God forbid, suicide. The things that we say are powerful. And Barnabas here spoke words of life. You say, how do you know that? Where do you see that? We looked at verse 27 as Barnabas steps in and intercedes. Look at verse 28. And he was with them, coming in and going out of Jerusalem. Who is he? He there is none other than the Apostle Paul. By Barnabas stepping in, by Barnabas going out of his way to make a difference, Paul was received in that inner circle of disciples. They accepted him. They were willing to work with him. What Barnabas did, it worked. It spoke volumes to these other Christians who were actually more mature 
Think about that. Who was in, who was in Jerusalem? Well, that was none other than James the Apostle, the leader, the, the key elder there at the church, and maybe others uh, were there that you might recognize their name, but those that were elders in the church weren't quite, weren't quite as far along in this matter of receiving and encouraging as Barnabas was. The results were great. Not only that, as he spoke life into Paul, look at the demeanor of Paul in verse 29. It says, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. So in the face of death again, here goes Paul, no matter what happens, death or life, he's speaking boldly. He's giving the truth of the gospel, the, the encouragement from Barnabas, the life that had been spoken into him. I don't know exactly the words that Barnabas said, but it, it fired Paul back up to do the job that he was supposed to do. I mean, let's just think about this in our reality today in 2021. When you get just an encouraging text message, can't that just change your entire day, doesn't it? Uh, just a Facebook message, just a quick phone call, maybe from your son or your daughter, or, or just a, that thank you note, maybe that's not even that long, but just thank you for what you did. Man, that can just change everything about a day, about a week, maybe even a year. How we need to be people that are this way. We should be the people that are sending the thank you notes. We should be the people that say thank you even uh, when it doesn't really need to be said over, above, and beyond Thanking people, encouraging people, speaking life into people. Look at the boldness of Paul just because of an encourager like Barnabas. We said that Barnabas became part of the inner circle because he served. That, that's mind-blowing to me because that's not how we normally think of it in the church, is it? Usually we hope we can get into the inner circle by maybe our title our degree, uh, our reputation, our financial status. Uh, we hope that maybe we can be an influencer in the church and we can uh, lead by maybe our reputation. For Barnabas, he simply just did like Jesus did. He humbled himself. He became a servant. He wasn't desirous of position. I remember uh, one time back in the Philippines, and it was back in the early days of our, of our church plant, uh, we had a guy that came to church on the very first, uh, for the very first time, first Sunday, and it was his last, but I remember uh, that day, uh, he came in, and even before church started, before church started, he came up and he asked me, he said, uh, he didn't ask me, actually, he, he told me, he said, I'm here, and I want to offer myself as your assistant pastor. That's what he said. And then he not only was so bold to say that, I'm offering myself as your assistant pastor, but then he was bold enough to say, and how much does that pay? <laughs> and I was like, I'm just thinking, this is unbelievable. And it's like two minutes before the start of church. And so these are the things that Pastor Tony and Pastor Chris might deal with right before church. It seems like the devil always has a great way of really throwing us off like two minutes before church starts. But Wow. Talk about bold about the position he wanted. That wasn't Barnabas. Barnabas was just encouraging. And, and number five, we see as we become like Barnabas, we just need to stay encouraging always and let the results fall where they may. Look over at chapter 11. Where do we find Barnabas next? As we walk this through, in Acts chapter 11, we see that Barnabas is sent. 
he sent. As he was encouraging and had been encouraging, look what happens in Acts eleven nineteen. Now when they were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, as far as Phenis and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth, who is it? Barnabas, here he is again, that he should go as far as Antioch who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad. Here's this encourager. He's glad. He's happy again. And exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Look how the passage describes him in verse 24. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Here's more people being saved. Uh, Here's more people that are receiving the gospel because someone like Barnabas, had come. He was sent forth. He was, he was someone the church entrusted to check on things, and he was really sent on this first small mission as he came and exhorted them and taught. He was promoted from servant to teacher. From servant to teacher. What a beautiful transition. Not by force, not because he volunteered himself, <laughs> because he was sent Because his character, his demeanor preceded that invitation. And here he was, uh, faithfully encouraging, faithfully exhorting, and then more people were being added. Over in Acts chapter 13, we see that he not only stayed encouraging, but he had learned, and we must learn, to seek the Lord before our ministry. Seek the Lord always before your ministry. Look at Acts 13. He's not just servant here. He's not just a teacher. He's not just being sent on a local mission or nearby. He's being sent now on a missionary journey with none other than the Apostle Paul. Look at Acts 13 and verses 2 and 3. It says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And so here's the Holy Spirit himself. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit uh, letting a church know this here at Antioch and sending out Paul and Barnabas? But really that wasn't enough. Uh, Paul had learned, Barnabas had learned to seek the Lord before ministry. They wanted to be sure that this was of God. They wanted to be sure that they had the power of God on them. They wanted to be sure they were, they were following the direction of God specifically. And so before they left, they fasted and prayed. They weren't sent out till hands were laid on them. They weren't sent out before the spiritual part was taken note of. What a lesson for us today. Seeking the Lord before ministry. Everybody wants ministry, but not everybody wants to be spiritual, right? And if you've ever worked in ministry for very long, you maybe have rubbed shoulders with people who didn't seem very spiritual. They maybe were in it for something else. Seek the Lord before the ministry. To do God's work, we need divine empowerment. We need divine filling. We need everything that God can give. We have nothing to offer to ministry without the Lord. 
without being filled with his presence and filled with his goodness and his grace and his encouragement. I have nothing to give in and of myself. Uh, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And later on he said, for without me, you can do nothing. You have nothing. You are nothing without me. Uh, Just like uh, a car would be nothing without gas, other than just sitting there in your driveway. I passed here along um, the main road out here going, I think it's left. I'm still not getting a handle of this area. But there's a driveway with an old smart car, one of those really tiny ones that were real popular before Tesla's, just sitting there. You know, but what, what good is a smart car without the battery? What good is a car without gasoline? So uh, useless would a Christian life be without the filling of the Holy Spirit and divine empowerment every day? And so they sought the Lord before ministry. They prayed, they fasted. I would say uh, just truthfully that there has been no uh, decision point in my life that uh, really I did not need not saying that I always did, but there was always a need to pray and fast. And there was a great difference in those times where I would pray and fast and ask God for direction. If it was my way, if it was what I wanted, I might be eager to jump into it. But usually the things that God is asking us to do are things that make us step out beyond what we're comfortable with. And so sad to say, what ends up happening is we usually don't do those things, correct? (laughs) We usually don't do the things we're not comfortable with. Why did Peter step out of the boat? It wasn't because he had great courage. It's because he was looking at Jesus. His eyes were on Christ. When his eyes got off Jesus, he sunk, he fell. And so, so much the more for us as we live this daily life, as we serve in our church, as we try to love our family, let's let's really trust God for the things that might seem beyond what we can do. Maybe it's something with our children or with our immediate family. Maybe it's a struggle Maybe it's personal relationships. Uh, Maybe it's a a thing at work that's going on that we just uh, can't even uh, grasp or wrap our mind around how to to handle it, how to talk to your boss or whatever it may be. Uh, This is just real life struggles that we all face. We need divine empowerment. We need spirit filling. We need to surrender to his control. What if instead of facing tomorrow only in what you can do, which is probably nothing more, right? Let's just be honest. There's probably nothing you can do about that situation. There's nothing more you can say, and probably you've already said too much. Maybe you start that day tomorrow and say, God, you know the situation, you know what I'm facing. You know what impact I want to have. I surrender today to you. Help me to say something that maybe I wouldn't have thought of saying. Lord, help me to serve in a way. Remember Barnabas, he stepped in by serving. He stepped out of his comfort zone into service. Is there a way you could serve your enemies tomorrow? Is there a way you could love them? Is there a way that you could uh, confront someone with love tomorrow? Maybe in a situation that you're dealing with. Seek the Lord before ministry. And let's just add in there, before life in general. You can't do life without him. You can't live a day without him. Barnabas man, I want to become like this guy. As we get to the seventh one and the very last one tonight, may we learn to see the results over time. To see the results over time. Everybody's in a hurry today, aren't they? (laughs) We like microwave Christianity. I got saved, okay. Now everything's different, right? Uh, You're going to be a work in progress. I love that old song, he's still working on me. To make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week 
to make the moon and the stars, the sun and earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. I've taken a whole lot longer than those moon and stars. (laughs) But he still loves me. He's still concerned about me. He's still answering prayers. He's still guiding my life. He's still been faithful to our ministry and to our family. I couldn't brag on God enough. To God be all the glory. Results over time are the best results. I heard uh, Kerry Schmidt recently talk about, uh, he's an author and a, a pastor, he said, the best fruit is the fruit you can't calculate. Think about that. The best spiritual fruit, the best outcome of what we want from our Christian lives, it's not what we can calculate or figure out. It's not the things that we can dissect and think, okay, this is how this happened and this is what I did. No. The best ways, the best things that can happen are the things that you look back on and you say, there is no way that could have ever happened if it weren't for the hand of God involved in that scenario. If there's any other thing that you can figure out, it's probably because you forced it. You kick the door open, right? Have you been there? You kick the door open. You didn't wait on God to open it. The best fruit, the best things that happen in the Christian life are the things you can't calculate. And I'm a calculator. Are you guys, anybody a calculator here? I'm a, I'm a, I love, I love budgets and I love calculating. I love analyzing and writing down notes. God doesn't need all that. I just need him. I need him. And you do too. See the results over time. What were the results here? I think they're pretty amazing. The results over time. Let me read you just a little bit of context here I have in my notes. When Paul and Barnabas parted ways, John Mark would go with Barnabas and in the end continue forward despite his past failures. Barnabas, a son of encouragement, desired to forgive John Mark's failure and to give him another chance. Paul took the more rational view. Pioneering mission work required dedication, resolve, and endurance. Paul saw John Mark as a risk to their mission. Luke, the writer of Acts, does not take sides or present either Paul or Barnabas as being in the right. He simply records the facts. It's worth noting that in the end, two groups of missionaries were sent out. Twice as many missionaries were spreading the gospel. Amen to that, right? Two groups. We have Paul and Silas, and we have Barnabas and John Mark. Two teams going out, even though they had a difference of opinion, even though Barnabas had a different demeanor. Maybe Paul was more um, just to the point. Uh, more resolve, more focus on the task. He didn't want to worry with people like John Mark. But thank God for people that worry like, about people like John Mark and people like me, right? Thank God for people that look for that straggler behind, the person that, that isn't really up at the forefront. Look at the difference those people could make. John Mark sails off to Cyprus with his cousin Barnabas, but that is not the end of the story. Years later, He is with Paul, who calls him a fellow worker in Philemon 1.24. And nearing the end of Paul's life, Paul sends a request to Timothy from a Roman prison, get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in the ministry. Obviously, John Mark had matured through the years and had become a faithful servant of the Lord. Paul recognized his progress and considered him now a valuable companion. Here's Paul wanting to be around John Mark at the end. John Mark and Timothy and these fellow workers. But look who's nowhere to be found here at the end of the story. There's not much more we know about this guy 
named Barnabas. And I think that's how he liked it. I think, I think that's how he would want it. Here's Barnabas having promoted Paul, having encouraged Paul, having uh, went to bat for him and pushed him forward ahead of himself. Here's uh, Barnabas taking John Mark by the hand and saying, let's go do mission work together. I know that it's not working with Paul, but let's go do it together. And in the end, it's not Paul and Barnabas anymore. It's Paul and Mark. And by the way, did Barnabas write any books of the Bible? No, not that we know of. It's Mark, it's Paul, it's the people that got promoted. Barnabas was faithful behind the scenes. And if you ask Pastor Tony or Pastor Chris or any of the other pastors here in this church, they'll tell you the difference makers of this church are not the people on the front typically. The real difference makers are the people behind the scenes. It's the Fred Kirks, like you all celebrated his life last week. It's the people that without applause or without notoriety or without a title on the website or in the bulletin, they go and they serve week after week after week with very little recognition. They're just encouragers. Fred Kirk was an encourager. As I heard Pastor Tony talk about him and even after church we talked about him, man, it seems like there wouldn't be a Pastor Tony maybe still as faithful and passionate and excited as he is today without a Fred Kirk. And let me tell you, there probably wouldn't have been a Paul without a Barnabas. There probably wouldn't have been a John Mark or the book of Mark without a Barnabas. Let's just put this out there. Here's the key. Someone might miss their potential without you. They might miss what God has for them. They might miss the best if you don't give them your best, your encouragement, your applause, your care, your prayers, your love. Be that discipler for them. Be the person that they need. Be that spiritual caregiver. No matter your age, no matter how long you've been a Christian, you can do this. You have more than that unbeliever has, even if you're a new Christian. If, you're, if you've been saved a long time, think of what you have to offer. It might be just a display of your faithfulness, of your love for Christ that someone needs to see, and, and maybe we need to talk about it from time to time. There may never have been a Paul or John Mark without a Barnabas. I wonder, uh, maybe you're like me, and uh, you might be thinking as I talk about this, you might be thinking, why? I try to be an encouragement. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're the one saying that right now. I try to be an encourager, but it seems like nobody encourages me. Anybody like that? <laughs> Just being honest. I can, I can see a few of you want to raise your hands. You're like, is, is, this, is this really worth it? Because who's going to encourage me? If I do this, who's helping me? And I think, let's just be honest, we all could think that way. But there's a great law in the Bible. It's called the law of sowing and reaping. Amen. You know that one? What you sow, you will reap, whether good or bad. And I guarantee you, encouragement always comes around. I think about a guy in our church back in the Philippines. And um, he would not state that he is a positive person. He wouldn't think that. He would probably tell you the opposite. He would even apologize for, to you for being discouraging. That's, that's this guy. He's recently saved, and it's been amazing to see the work of God in his life. And about a year ago, or maybe even within six months ago, it was during the heart of the pandemic in the Philippines. It's just been very difficult uh, there. The restrictions are still very tight. Uh, it's been like a roller coaster ride 
uh, from restrictions to uh, letting things loose a bit, and just been very confusing. But during that time, uh, I felt the Lord impressed it on me to tell this person in our church and to let them know how encouraging they had been to me. And this person was shocked. They said, I'm not an encourager. That's not me. That's not who I am. And then I felt the Lord leading me to tell him, that's who you are when you let the Holy Spirit take control. And that's what he had been to me. I cannot say there hasn't been a better encouragement of all of 2020 for me than this person. That's not his personality type. That's not his demeanor. But that's a gift from the Holy Spirit. Praise God for encouragers. What we sow, we will reap. And uh, may we become like Barnabas.